I have a great story for you and someone's telling you a story and you think, well, it's not really a story. It's just something that happened. Welcome to Push In, the Synodic Podcast. I'm your host, Joyce Klein, coming to you from the unceded territory of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, otherwise known as beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. We filmmakers can get obsessed with the nuances of direction, cinematography, music, sound, production design, even acting. But what holds all those elements together is story. That's why today I'm interviewing Claire Mulligan, a real writer's writer whose novels have been nominated for the prestigious Giller Prize, a Canadian Authors Award, and Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. Claire's first short screenplay, The Still Life of Annika Myers, won multiple awards, and now, thanks to a $30,000 Directors Guild of Canada Greenlight Award, her second short screenplay, Obscura, will be produced by her writing partner, award-winning director Arnold Lim. Hi, Claire. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Joyce. Scene one. You and Arnold just won the Greenlight Award to produce Obscura. Can you give us the logline? Yes, it's uh, about a, a young recluse, and he is forced to make a camera obscura when his family cuts the power to his room, force him come out, to come out. But this is he's a very resourceful young man, and this is what he does. What is a camera obscura? Well, a camera obscura, um, it means uh, camera is, means dark room, basically. Um, camera is an old Latinized word for, for a room. So it's a pinhole camera. And you can make these yourself. You can completely black out your room. And actually, Arnold and I did this as part of the pitch, to, to and we made a slideshow of it um, to show the effect that we were going for. And you black out your entire room and even the windows, and you just let in the tiniest bit of light, in a, and you can use a washer, um, cover up your whole windows with, with, say, cardboard or something. And then what will happen is that uh, the outside will project itself onto the walls of your room upside down. It looks really cool. You can look it up, camera obscura, and look at rooms and it just looks it looks amazing. Anybody can have one. Okay, so let's say you've got a solid idea and now it's time to get it down as a screenplay. What's your process for writing the first draft? Do you outline first, wing it, or and discover the story as you go along or or what? Yeah, usually I come up with a concept and then sort of think what character and situation would fit that concept. For example, with Obscura, it was I had originally thought about it as a sci-fi. So our chap is would be, you know, trapped in a room some kind. He doesn't something's going on outside. The world is maybe, I don't know, is there a zombie apocalypse once again or something? And then and that was a problem. <laughs> like, well, what is happening outside? And then, you know, he, he sees what's happening outside after he makes his obscura and is able to, to, to view the outside world within his um, confines of his place. But that's as far as I got. And I can, I've got a pretty good imagination. I can spin all kinds of stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know where it goes from here. Does he go like, you, you know, so and I'm sure I could have figured it out, but it just felt didn't work for it, right? It was too contrived. So I kept thinking about it and, you know, tinkering around with where and how this would best, what sort of a story would best fit this. So um, I came across uh, the stories of uh, Heikikomoris, which are, are in Japan and are across the globe, really. Um, there's a lot of young men, mostly, 
who, for whatever reason, uh, mental health, social challenges, all these sorts of things will, will just you know, go to their rooms and shut the door and knock them out again. And uh, often, sometimes for years. And so I thought this was a very tragic and strange phenomenon. So, uh, yeah, and I thought, well, what if he's, he, this is our character, is this sort of a person, right? So he, he has a lot of inner conflict as well um, that he has to overcome. It's not just an outer conflict, not just a situation. It's a true sort of story where he has to overcome, or at least not overcome, it's not that simple, but he has to at least advance somehow through the beats of the story. Scene two. You are an editor and a writing consultant, so I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about that. And the first one is, how can a filmmaker know if a story idea has legs? That's interesting. Do you mean legs as to go into a series or into a movie? Some stories lend themselves very well to the short form and others to the long form. Are there any particular things that would let you know it's worth doing at all? Yeah, you have to sort of think about where you're starting your character. What do they want and why can't they get it? And what are going to be the obstacles in their way? And are there enough obstacles, basically, that that, that can carry on into a, into a longer form, right? Basically, when you, especially with short films, and I review a lot of them, a lot of them are, are very well done, but they sometimes are thin on story. And by story, there has to be something at stake. It can't just be a slice of life or an event happening or an examination of something. It, it can work, but generally you want to have the, the idea of a three-act structure, the idea of beginning, middle, and end, the idea of some sort of change that is important. What about using your own life experience? Is that advantageous for a writer? Certainly, a lot of people like to use if they have um, to use to use their own experience as as story. But you have to think: is it a story, right, or is it just something that happened? And there's a big difference between the two. And I teach a a core story journey where I I really sort of focus on this to uh, look at material and think: is it a story or is it not a story? A story is a, a certain thing. And it's an identifiable thing, and we sometimes forget that, right? Things can be very dramatic, even dangerous, but they're not necessarily a story unless they have these key sort of story elements to them. That's always an interesting, interesting thing. You know, we use, yeah, I have a great story for you, and someone's telling you a story, and you think, well, it's not really a story. It's just something that happened, <laughs> you know, because you went back to normal afterwards. Everything was reset. I know you often use historical sources. What is it about that historical material that so fascinates you? I've written two historical novels, The Reckoning of Boston Jim and The Dark. Uh, both were set in the 1800s. Uh, one was set here in Victoria and the Caribou Wagon Road in Barkerville. And the other one was set um, largely in the U.S. where I was living at the time. I used to love fantasy and science fiction when I was coming up. You know, I loved the idea of traveling to a different place. I wasn't that interested in reading about my own world because I lived in it, right? You you want to be transported, right? And I think as I got older, historical fiction sort of fulfilled that need to travel into different worlds and to experience different kinds of POVs and experiences. So um, I really enjoyed writing, reading historical fiction that was well done. And then that sort of inspired me to to write our to write my own. And again, you know, I teach historical fiction at UVic Continuing Ed and and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge, you know, it's endless worlds, right? You can write about things nobody has ever written about, depending on 
where you're setting your story and who your characters are. It, there's so many things to inspire and innovate and words and situations and characters you can find in the in the you know history of humanity that no one has ever done. So I think it's um it's a really exciting kind of interesting field, very challenging of course, right? And that's part of the to me that's part of the draw as well. Scene three. Uh, the Still Life of Annika Myers was your first screenplay to be actually shot. And I always wanted to ask you how it felt to hand control of your baby over to so many people. Yeah, so the Still Life of Annika Myers was I adapted from a short story that I wrote. Um, yeah, I handed it over to Matthew Blake, who who was amazing. And he very graciously, I mean, it was just a epic work of art and uh, that he did for that. I liked it. I like collaborating. Collaborating is fun. I think, I think when you have a good bunch of people together, it's, it's like your own brain is, is on steroids, right? It's on, you know, it becomes a sort of hive mind. And I think that can be very, very inspiring, right? So even now with my classes, I'm actually getting them to think, I wouldn't say like a writer's room, but we try, I try and encourage more of a like a hive mind thing to come up with ideas and to help each other with their ideas. Tail slate. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for generously sharing so much useful information and best of luck on Obscura. Thank you so much, Joyce. And that's a wrap. You can find links to Claire and a trailer for The Still Life of Annika Myers in the show notes. And you can help promote the talented filmmakers we feature by liking, subscribing, or five-star rating us so others can find their interviews more easily. That's it for now. Join me, your host, Joyce Klein, for the next episode of Pushin' the Cinevic Podcast.